when I was a kid, we used to play this game called Simon Says. Right? Most of us have played that, unless you're really young, because there's no app for it. it, it Simon Says is, uh, you know, you just, Simon Says, pat your head, you know, so, okay, you know, Simon said it. Um, it's just, it was a very simple game, but it's so weird how in the church, Jesus Says is a totally different game. If Jesus says something, you don't have to do it, you just have to memorize it. You, 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 you study it, you memorize it. You guys, it, it doesn't make any sense. A lot of the things we do, when he tells us to go out and make disciples, and how many people in the, our churches are actually making disciples? They memorized it. You know, when I tell my daughter, hey, hey Rach, go clean your room. She doesn't come back to me two hours later and go, I memorized what you said. <laughs> you said, Rach, go clean your room. I can say it in Greek. <laughs> my friends are going to come over and we're going to have a study on what it would look like if I cleaned my room. <laughs> she knows better than that. And so why do we think we're going to come before the judge one day and quote everything that he said and talk about how much we know? It's just, it's just this black and white stuff. If I just started with scripture, I'd go, here's what I would do. I'd start making disciples. I'm so glad you're here today. What an opportunity we have to continue to make, well, progress in the book of Acts. If you've been with us, we are trudging through Acts. We're at about Acts chapter 14 at this moment. But before we get there, I do want to be able to well, give us a little background. Is Acts chapter 1, uh, chapter, or, or uh, the first part of Acts, Acts 1 through about 12, is that becoming more familiar with you? I start off just about every message talking about how Jesus told his disciples to go into Jerusalem. And there were about 120. And they waited. And they waited. And when the Holy Spirit came, there was great power and authority. And the church was birthed. And the church began to grow, came under persecution. Some of the church leaders were killed. Some of the church leaders were rescued. But ultimately, God's word kept moving out powerfully. In chapter 13, this ushers us into part two of Acts. The early church, and no doubt, started in Jerusalem and spread out into Judea and even into Samaria. But from Acts chapter 13 on, it was going into the whole world. The gospel, it was advancing. As we noted, the Spirit continues to be active and a key player in this drama. The Spirit leads the leaders of the Antioch Church. In Acts 13, our last lesson, 
to commission Paul and Barnabas to go out and plant new churches. Now, it was a little bit weird. It was sort of a shock, and it was uncomfortable because no one had ever done this before. But it was God's way, so they listened. The first missionary journey started on Cyprus. Then they went over to the mainland and upwards to Antioch, where we focused in Acts chapter 13. But there in Antioch, on the mainland... Paul began to preach. He said, you can have your sins forgiven. You can have a relationship with God. You see, that was the same message that changed Paul's life years before. For some reason, Paul was not less excited about the gospel. For some reason, as Paul got older, He didn't think less of his conversion. He was overwhelmed by God's grace and couldn't believe that God loved him, died for him, empowered him, gave him the Holy Spirit, and enabled him to live abundant life and looking forward to eternal life. His sins were forgiven. The message gave hope in their turbulent world. It convicted them. It encouraged them in the faith. And lives were transformed. Now back in the first century, their culture was hurting. It was broken. It was filled with despair. Politics was stifling. Racism was rampant. Injustice ruled. God's plan to change the world was to use his word and the church. The exciting thing is, is that it was God's way back then. And it's God's way today. So in that first century, churches started and they gathered and they grew. But the flocks And the missionaries paid a price. We end in the very last verse in chapter 13, verse 52. In spite of going through, well, some difficult times in Antioch, the scriptures tell us that the Spirit filled these believers and they experienced joy. In spite of the hardship, it did not matter of the circumstances or the scenarios. They were filled with joy. So let's pray as we open up Acts chapter 14 and continue God's story and how he used that church and how it models for us today what we ought to do. So let's pray. Father, we do come before you and we open up your word and we are so grateful that you have helped us understand how this whole thing started. You lovingly and carefully make sure that every word that is written in the book of Acts is there for a reason. You've inspired it. God, may we hear from you today. May you open up our eyes to blind spots. May you ignite us where we need to move. 
convict us, God, in areas of, of sin, of rebelliousness. Lord, we don't always understand your ways. We don't. We don't understand why you've chosen to use the church, why you've chosen this church to be salt and light in our community. But we pray even today, God, that you would help us understand the privilege and the honor that each one of us have. There are churches all over this country, all over the world, that are worshiping you, that are preaching and teaching and encouraging the flock. We pray today, God, that you would do that powerfully. We are grateful again for the privileges that you give us. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the Holy Spirit that teaches us and dwells us and empowers us. Oh, today, God, would, would we leave different people? Would your word do the work in each one of us that you purpose? Would we listen more carefully and respond quicker to you, Father? We ask all these things in your Son's name. Amen. Amen. You know, chapter 13 started off really well. If you just even recall a little bit, is that Paul and Barnabas, they pull into Antioch, and there's all kinds of response, but then the persecution happens. And then there's even talking, well, uh, heartaches and hardships. And they move on. Acts chapter 14, starting at verse 1. You can follow along in your Bibles or look up on the screen, but I'm going to start reading. Acts chapter 14, verse 1. The same thing happened in Iconium. Paul and Barnabas went to the Jewish synagogue and preached with such power that a great number of both Jews and Greeks became believers. Some of the Jews, however, spurned God's message and poisoned the minds of the Gentiles against Paul and Barnabas. But the apostles stayed there a long time, preaching boldly about the grace of God. And the Lord proved their message was true by giving them power to do miraculous signs and wonders. But the people of the town were divided in their opinion about them. Some sided with the Jews and some sided with the apostles. Then, then a mob of Gentiles and Jews, along with their leaders, decided to attack and stone them. When the apostles learned of it, they fled to the region of Lyconia, to the towns of Lystra and Derbe and the surrounding area. Wow. This high-low cycle is a norm in ministry. There are some amazing times and fruit just seems to flow and people are responding to God's word. And then there are dry times, and there's hard times, and there's times of persecution. So when Dr. Luke, who wrote this book, said this, the same thing happened in Iconium. Those words had a sting, which means it started off really well, which means that so many people responded to God's word, both Jews 
and Greeks. This was exciting for the team. But then it happened. Now, now let me just briefly go over what kind of town Iconium was. In the first century, Iconium was an agricultural and a trade center that was about 80 miles away from Antioch. Again, let me remind you, it's walking, it's on carts, it's on other things, but it's just not easily gotten to. 80-mile trip. There were five roads, though, that converged on a city that made an important link in the routes between major regions of the Roman Empire. So this really was a well-traveled place. Paul and Barnabas walk in. They start preaching in the synagogue. And some of you may be wondering, if Paul was called to the Gentiles, why often did he go here? Well, Gentiles were part of synagogue, and, and realistically, as he was new, he was going to a place that understood who God was. Well, God's word was powerful, and the spirit was active, and people responded. Now, again, maybe going back to 13 a little bit too often, but just to remind you, when Paul went into Poseidon, Antioch, Luke mentions nothing about the miracles performed. Probably none did. But in Iconium, God gave the ability to perform wonders and signs. As always, miracles serve to validate the apostles' message is divine. Yet they were not always part of their ministry. God's word often divides. And it did so in Iconium. The Jews spurned the message. The idea here is they heard it. They were squirming. They literally disobeyed. They didn't like this idea of grace. And then they tried to poison the minds. In spite of the circumstances, the strategy did not change for these guys. They preached boldly about God's grace. Now, let me remind you, even back then, there were lots of ills in the culture. But it's God's grace that brings life change. And there's lots of ills in our culture. And sometimes we have a tendency to focus more on those than the life-giving message of God's grace that changes life now and our eternal state. Well, the apostles learned, and I'm not exactly sure how they found out, that they were going to be stoned, that they were going to be crushed by rocks, pelted by rocks. This was not a fun thought for them, although they didn't leave, we know, because they were afraid of that. I'm just sensing the Spirit told them to move on. Now, it's interesting, they didn't go home. Now, in Antioch, the same thing happened. There in Iconium, the same thing happened. There was problems, there were issues. And maybe 
if I were in that team, or, or maybe you, we'd say, hey, wait, maybe God's trying to tell us something. We tried Naniac, there was some fruit. We tried Niconian, there was some fruit. They want to stone us here. I think, you know what, let's go home. But that's not what happened. It wasn't about the stoning because actually Paul gets stoned in the next town, all right? But the Spirit directed and encouraged. And again, for me, as I look at this, there was something in Paul It said, this message is unbelievably transforming. I can't go home. I'll go somewhere else. They're not responding right here, but I want to be able to tell good news to everybody I can. Think about that. As Paul got older and older and older, the fire he had for the gospel never waned. Wow. Well, let's look. Acts chapter 14, starting at verse 7. I'm going to have this read for you, and you can follow along on the screen or in your Bibles. And there they preached the good news. While they were at Lystra, Paul and Barnabas came upon a man with crippled feet. He had been that way from birth, so he had never walked. He was sitting and listening as Paul preached. Looking straight at him, Paul realized he had faith to be healed. So Paul called to him, Stand up! They are gods. And the man jumped to his feet and started walking. When the crowd saw what Paul had done, they shouted in their local dialect, These men are gods in human form. They decided that Barnabas was the Greek god Zeus and that Paul was Hermes since he was the chief speaker. Now the temple of Zeus was located just outside the town. So the priest of the temple and the crowd brought bowls and wreaths of flowers to the town gates, and they prepared to offer sacrifices to the apostles. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard what was happening, they tore their clothing in dismay and ran out among the people, shouting, Friends, why are you doing this? We are merely human beings just like you. We have come to bring you the good news that you should turn from these worthless things and turn to the living God who made heaven and earth, the sea, and everything in them. In the past, he permitted all the nations to go their own ways, but he never left them without evidence of himself and his goodness. For instance, he sends you rain and good crops and gives you food and joyful hearts. But even with these words, Paul and Barnabas could scarcely restrain the people from sacrificing to them. Then some Jews arrived from Antioch and Iconium and won the crowds to their side. They stoned Paul and dragged him out of town, thinking he was dead. But as the believers gathered around him, he got up and went back into the town. The next day, he left with Barnabas for Derby. We started off in chapter 14, verse 7, with a summary statement. And there they preached the good news. Wherever Paul went, the initial thing that happened was preaching the good news. This is a description of a normal, continuous event. So when he went to a spot, 
the thing which was the most important priority for Paul was to say, hey, you can have your sins forgiven. You can have a relationship with the Almighty God. It will change your life now, and it will change your life for eternity. First thing, he would chat through. Now, Paul and Barnabas had quite the experience while preaching in Lystra. Lystra is very different than Iconium. It would be considered like a small, one-traffic-light town, okay? One-traffic signal. That's it, you know. Few stores around or whatever, so it was much smaller. There's no mention of a synagogue, probably because there weren't even enough Jews to have one. You needed at least 10 male Jews to start a synagogue, all right? And just a side note for those that maybe have read further on in the New Testament and even read from 1 Timothy or 2 Timothy, all right? Timothy was from Lystra. He came from Lystra. So there was no synagogue. So Paul typically went where people gathered. If there wasn't a synagogue, it would be the marketplace where the Greeks gathered to socialize and where traveling philosophers or entertainers uh, attracted attention. Now, interesting. And you look at some of this. Paul, in a very different spot, still made his way to where people were, where crowds of people were. Interesting. Because sometimes as I go to new places or, or end up in spots, I, you know, you don't want that kind of attention. Anyway, while Paul was preaching, it seems, he noticed a crippled man. A man with a disability. But what was different about this man, because I'm sure there were a whole lot of folks around who were hurting, diseased, impaired. But he was listening intently as Paul preaches. Now the scripture doesn't tell how Paul sees this, but we're sensing that he did hear the Holy Spirit's prompting right here. Because again, there were no shortage of sickness or folks around with disabilities. Paul saw that this infirmed man had faith to be healed or literally saved inside and outside. Paul knew this. Now, God chose to heal, which brought him great glory. But as you can read, it brought a whole lot of trouble for Paul and Barnabas. Things quickly went south for the apostles. Paul and Barnabas found themselves part of the town's mythology. And this involved the Greek gods Zeus and Hermes, which were the patron gods of Lystra, that city. Now the people, for whatever reason, thought Zeus and Hermes had returned. Now if you go back a little bit in history, you'll see that the townspeople, the folks in Lystra, actually thought, well, a long time before this, that they messed up royally. 
that actually these two gods came, visited them, and they weren't very well treated at all. And as a result, Lystra was, well, shall we say cursed. Well, at this moment, what happened is that these guys weren't going to blow it again. They did not want to displease these Greek gods. So the sacrifices and the worship began. Now, Paul and Barnabas, I'm pretty sure, were unaware completely of this mythology before. But once they saw what happened, they were appalled. They go, oh, oh my word. Paul's message was powerful, but it was ineffective. Look back at verse 15. He's saying, friends, why are you doing this? Why are you bringing up all these sacrifices? We're just human beings just like you. We have come to bring you the good news that you should turn from these worthless things and turn to the living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. In the past, he permitted all the nations to go their own ways, but he never let them go without evidence of himself and his goodness. For instance, he sends you rain and good crops and gives you food and joyful hearts. In spite of trying to, um, well, get the ship back on course, All this truth was received by deaf ears. And a whole lot happens from verse 18 to verse 19. It's actually even hard to understand. But a group of rebellious Jews turned the crowd quickly against these guys. Suddenly, the same people who had worshipped Paul and Barnabas as gods rose up in anger to literally kill them or stone them to crush them with rocks. Well, the Scriptures tell us they believe Paul was dead after they did this, so they dragged him out of town. I think the disciples that quickly gathered around Paul, they knew this was not the plan. Can you even imagine what they were thinking about? What was going through their mind? Now, there are lots of theories that actually happen right here. One is that Paul really did die and God raised him from the dead. But I don't think actually that did happen. I just think he got clunked so many times he was unconscious. The Greeks would use a different formation here to talk about if he were dead. And I'm pretty sure that would have been one of Paul's preaching points in the future. But he looked like he was dead He had to be bruised brutally. And as these disciples were gathering around Paul, he wakes up. He gets up. He walks back into town and then leaves the next day with Barnabas for Derby. Now, you may not know this yet, but over time... Paul is going to literally return to Lystra three more times. You wonder, and you're going to find out why he does that, but if you were stoned, 
If you were beat to a pulp, if people thought you were dead, they did not like you. This is a sure sign they do not like you. Sure sign. He goes back into the town. What was his motivation? Why did he want to do that? And you're going to find out to strengthen and encourage believers. But we'll get there in a moment. Doubtless, if you can just picture this, the memory of this ordeal helped to establish his authority as a genuine epistle. And I think even more than that, modeled what ministry actually looks like. Not that if you follow God, you will get stoned. But if you follow God, there are going to be really hard times at times. Now, the believers here most likely referred to both helpers and new disciples. And my guess is this, and, and it's not anywhere in the Scripture, but I do think Timothy was there. And can you imagine later on, as Timothy was considered Paul's son, and Timothy, if he had been there, saw this. And then when Paul taught him about the gospel and taught him about the church and taught him about suffering, I think Timothy kept going back to this image. Think about it. These disciples witnessed Paul's preaching, witnessed Paul's stoning, and witnessed Paul's tenacity to get up. Let's go to the next town. This is unbelievable. You don't think like this. You don't. You recover for a week or two or five or you go back home. You do not keep going after you're stoned. Normal people. Let's look. Chapter 14, look at verse 21. Now, now this should get, start getting you excited. Because anybody that loves God like this, anybody that is so passionate about the gospel, anyone that literally says, hey, this is so important. I, I, I'm, I'm, we're we're going to keep moving. This is kind of cool. Verse 21. When he gets to Derby, all right, after preaching the good news in Derby and making many disciples, Paul and Barnabas returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch of Pisidia. Pisidia where they strengthened the believers, they encouraged them to continue in the faith, reminding them that we must suffer many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. Verse 23, Paul and Barnabas also appointed elders in every church. With prayer and fasting, they turned the elders over to the care of the Lord in whom they had put their trust. Not trust in the elders, but trust in the Lord. After surviving the mob attack in Lystra, the team traveled east to the city of Derby. And this actually wasn't a very big town either. It's almost lost to history. There's not a lot of archaeology that, that surrounds this thing. So if Lystra was a one traffic signal light, uh, uh, traffic signal city or town, this was like a one stop sign town, even less. But Paul goes there. The team would travel about 50 miles after being stoned like this 
over rugged, unpaved roads. It was not easy like it was to Lystra. They reached Derby. Paul's agenda and Barnabas is begin to preach, and they make many disciples. Can you imagine looking at him? Can you imagine the, the bruising on his body? And, and maybe even some say, um, excuse me? You look gross. <laughs> Your eyes kind of swollen. In fact, can you see the scabs? What happened? Well, you know what? Last time I preached about this message, the city stoned me. But this message is so important. I, I just got to let you know. You can have your sins forgiven. And you can have a relationship with God. Jesus died on the cross so you can have abundant life and eternal life. You can spend eternity with God. This message is unbelievable. And the scriptures tell us at this moment that he preached and many disciples were formed. We, we don't know much. Later on in Acts, we do find out that there does become a sizable community that begins to meet or a church in Derby. But there's not a lot there. Paul and Barnabas then return via Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch with one purpose to strengthen those new disciples that were formed, to strengthen the church. This was remarkable. They wanted to make sure these new believers were strong. They encouraged them to continue the faith, even though things get hard at times. They reminded them that suffering is normal. And they appointed church leaders, trusting God to work in them and through them, even though they had to be quite young in the faith. Look at verse 24. Then they traveled back through Pisidia and through Pamphylia. They preached the word in Perga and then went down to Italia. Finally, they returned by ship to Antioch of Syria. That's where they stopped. Oh, there it is. Where the journey had begun. The believers there had entrusted them to the grace of God to do the work they had now completed. Upon arriving in Antioch, they called the church together and reported everything that God had done through them and how they had opened the door of faith to Gentiles too. And they stayed there with the believers for a long time. They returned home. But as they did again, instead of resting or worrying about them themselves, whatever port, whatever city they were in, they did preach. They headed, then boarded a ship and headed 400 miles over the sea back to Antioch. Coming home was Special for these new missionaries. It was a time to celebrate, a time to tell all the stories that God has done. You folks, you prayed for us, you commissioned us, you sent us out to start new churches. We started four churches. Hey, things were a little rough at times, but 
God was working. The word of God went out, changed lives, and is changing our world. Thank you. Thank you for sending us out. Maybe Paul's wounds had healed by then. Maybe he looked rather normal. I don't know. But I know this, that oftentimes in the church, in ministry, in your small groups, sometimes we forget to tell stories of God's grace in our life, of how God is working, of when the Spirit prompted you, and when you listened and obeyed, and maybe even suffered as a result of listening to Jesus. Debriefing is huge on the journey. Now, there's a lot here. And what I'd like to do for the remaining time we have is to process just what happened and begin to learn four truths, four things that we can grab. And I think there's a whole lot more, but we're just going to look at four of them. The first truth, ministry has cycles, and it's really hard at times. Over and over and over again, not only as a pastor, but as I've served in different areas, the real heroes in my book are those that continue to keep their hand to the plow. There's always going to be difficulties. There's always going to be challenges. And almost the more fruitful the ministry is, the greater that Satan attacks. There's no doubt about it. And I think so many times as small groups together or communities or you're encouraging one another. I'm sorry you have to go through this. I'm sad there's not a response. I'm, I'm discouraged with you. And we're reminded truths over and over again. You know, I look at this past year. What a ministry year. There were times when ministry leaders and you right here had to be more creative as you made disciples, as you told Bible stories, as you shared with neighbors, graced others. There are so many disappointments. There was lack of fruit and there was abundance of fruit and there was discouragement. But I'll tell you, one of the greatest things I've learned and the leadership right here in this church is we need to listen to God and expect the enemy to work, both inside and outside this church. If we don't spend time on our knees, if we don't spend quiet time listening, God, what do you want us to do? What ministry do you want us to focus on? Where do you want us to spend the funds? What kind of energy is, needs to be extended? I know that any time that God gives you or me the title of son or daughter, we are called to be his ambassadors. We're called to represent him well. And a calling in many ways enables you to get up 
after you're stoned to go to the next town because you know what God has given you and the gift and the strength, the tenacity. And I guess my question to you is right here, what season are you in right now? Are you in a season that's calm? Are you in a season that's tumultuous? But whatever season it is, there's these ebbs and there's flows. Sometimes in seasons of comfort, we depend on God less. And may God give each one of us the courage to go to him often, to hear from him and obey him. Second truth that kind of, kind of shouts out to me is proclaiming God's word is critical. It is. It is so unique. Paul and Barnabas' strategy all the way through. I am going to, Paul's passion, Barnaby's passion, preach God's word. I'm going to let people know what God is saying to them. That there can be life, that he wants to extend grace, but that he's also a God of wrath, and that sin needs to be paid for and justified. But Jesus died on the cross, shed his blood, and redeemed each one of us and offer you forgiveness. God's word is powerful. We are not. Sometimes we're even afraid to share who God is because we think we may not have the right answers. The truth is, as we learn what God's word is, we teach and preach what God says. God's word strengthens. God's word convicts. We don't. We can't make that happen. God's word is good news, and nothing else saves, and nothing else brings hope. Nothing. Many of you already know that it's not about toys. It's not about the excessive work. It's not about the stuff you have. It's not whether your kids all go to school and have great jobs and marry great people. It's a relationship with Jesus that saves you, empowers you, and gives you hope for every situation and circumstance and gives you guidance and direction. We're to know it, we're to obey it, and we're to share it. Thirdly, making disciples and strengthening the church is a priority. Paul and Barnabas knew that. They practiced it. They knew that these new believers would maybe fall away without it. They knew that, that maybe if, if they weren't strengthened when persecution came, they would dry up. But that's the assignment. That's what matters. That's what Jesus told us. That's what success is. That's our metric. How many disciples are you and I making? 
Paul and Barnabas model for us how to disciple others. They preached and they made disciples of those who responded. Not everyone responds. But to them, and it's clear in the scripture, today's scripture, that discipleship includes teaching about faith and encouraging them to continue in faith. That's what Paul saw as important. Part of his discipleship package, working with others, was to remind them over and over again that suffering is normal for kingdom work. Jesus said it over and over and over again. If you want to follow me, pick up your cross. It's going to be difficult. You will suffer. Paul and Barnabas saw setting them up well before they leave, specifically choosing elders. And choosing leadership is always critical. Paul and Barnabas, they, this was new congregations, but they fasted and they prayed. And then once they chose the right people by God's power and listening to the Spirit, they handed them over, trusted God was going to take care of them. Do you believe it? And most of these leaders were young believers. Most of them were. But Paul and Barnabas knew, hey, I'm handing you over to God. God's going to take care of you. This is what we're going to do, our faith in God. God would grow and protect the church. And my question to you is, is making disciples and strengthening the church a priority for you? Now, I'm not exactly telling you how to do that. But honestly, if folks just come out on a Sunday, 10 o'clock, have a great worship time, hear a word from God, and then go home and just live life as normal, I am really sure that's not what God intended for any of us. It just isn't. That we are to be involved in people's lives. We're to be walking with them. We're to be helping them, encouraging them to keep the faith when it's really hard to trust God. Sometimes we complain about the church rather than strengthening the church. Sometimes we need to encourage others. And focus more on them than on us. Lastly, I think the gathering of believers and the reporting is so important. You know, I was meeting with a young man this week and actually got a little upset. I, I, I know that probably breaks your whole, no, it doesn't. But I, I, I was maybe even more than upset. Because this young man loved Jesus with all of his heart. But honestly, my heart broke because there was times where I begged him to be part of a church, to be part of a community. And maybe that will happen. And I hope it does. But realistically, we can't do this Christian life without community. We cannot. It's impossible. We need the church. 
we need each other. It was so cool. These guys came back, the Antioch believers who entrusted Paul and Barnabas to finish. They did this. They called the church together. They reported all the stories. Can you imagine those stories, especially when Paul got to, hey, you know what? Lystra wasn't so good, at least at the end. Whoa, do you guys know what being stoned feels like? Let me describe it to you. But you know what? After a little bit, God gave me strength. I got up and went to the derby. And I don't think he was bragging. I think he was kind of focusing on how amazing God is and how important this message is. I just got to ask, are, are you just coming out on Sundays? Or are you in community? Are you telling other stories? Are you pumping others' tires? Life is hard. Ministry is hard. Are you praying? You know, we distribute, and, and, and not everybody comes out to our prayer times, but, but each month, and this is out in the lobby, we put out a prayer list of the leaders and the ministries and the missionaries. This might be one way that you just pray for others, encourage others, writing others' notes. You see, realistically, Paul was so excited. He saw God clearly. He understood his message. He saw that making disciples and strengthening the church was not just his assignment because he trained person after person after person to do the same thing. And within just a few short years, the whole known world was exposed to the gospel of Jesus. Our series is called Unfinished because the task is unfinished. And we keep talking about the privilege we have of building into each other, helping others on the journey to encourage them to grow and then grab somebody else, help them on the journey, and encourage them to grow. That's life. That's living. The adventure continues as we continue to open up Acts next week. And we watch Paul be able to move into areas and do things that only the Spirit could direct. These are exciting times. And, and may God give each one of us grace to see how we can make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, thank you. Father, we thank thee for examples. Lord, Paul and Barnabas are heroes. We don't get it. But we knew they know you, they knew you, they loved you, and that your message transformed lost people. God, may we have that fire in our bones. In Jesus' name, amen.